Modern smartphones are sleek and thin, but they're also fragile and expensive. If you're really careful, you may use it until you're ready to upgrade without shattering the glass. But if you look around, you'll see most phones wrapped in a case for protection. Our personal data is even more valuable than the device it's stored on, and it deserves just as much protection. The work that I do requires me to travel a lot, which means I'm frequently to connect, connected to unfamiliar networks. Nefarious hackers can make up to $1,000 selling the data of each of their victims on the dark web, and there are cheap hardware and software tools readily available that let even a smart middle schooler snatch your data without you even noticing. A virtual private network, or VPN, like ExpressVPN, creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your devices and the servers that you're transmitting data to and from. When you're, when you're sitting at the airport gate area, or airline lounge, or even your hotel room, those Wi-Fi networks aren't secure. Your bits are flying through the air, and whether you're checking your bank account balance, sending data to a client, or just checking your email, bad actors can snatch up your usernames, passwords, and everything else you send and receive if it's not encrypted. The layers of security used by ExpressVPN would take over a billion years to expose by bad guys with some of the most powerful supercomputers. ExpressVPN trusted server technology also runs each session in memory in a unique virtual space that is wiped clean as you end your session with none of your data ever written to a hard drive, so there's no residue for anyone to recover about what you were doing after the fact. ExpressVPN runs on almost all devices, including Windows, Mac, iOS, Linux, Android, streaming devices like Chromecast, Roku, Fire Stick, and Apple TV, and there's also a Chrome browser extension. It's super simple to use. Once you install ExpressVPN, it's one click to establish a secure encrypted tunnel with servers in 105 countries around the world. I've personally been paying for and using ExpressVPN for years on all of my personal devices. When I, started, when I first started using VPNs for work more than 20 years ago, they were often slow and unstable and had to be restarted frequently. But with ExpressVPN, data speeds are virtually unchanged from running fully exposed, so you can just turn the VPN on and leave it on. I often get materials from clients and companies that are, that are under embargo or NDA, and if it leaks out, I can get into some trouble. But even if I just wanted to reach back to my personal server to grab some files, check my email, or watch something that's only available on one of my streaming services at home while I'm out of the country, ExpressVPN lets me do it all securely. Your data is valuable. Don't let bad actors steal it and potentially misuse it. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash wheelbearings. And you can get an extra three months free when you sign up. Expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. And thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting wheelbearings. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is Wheelbearings. I'm Dan Roth. I'm Sam Abual Samet, and joining us tonight, we have a very special guest, the co-host of the Analog Podcast and Chief Summarizer-in-Chief from the Accidental Tech Podcast, Casey Liss. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? 
Oh, it's great to have you on board with us tonight, Casey. Uh, the have a real online. podcaster. A real podcaster. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> hey, I mean, at, least, of, at least you're one that gets paid for it. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, when your show is called The Accidental Tech Podcast, how, how real and how serious can it really be? Uh, sure. I mean, but there's plenty of silly stuff that gets paid for, too. We, we, we do this because the people want us to do it. The people need us. I, that's what we keep telling ourselves every week. So, right. <laughs> uh, all right. So, speaking of what things we do every week, uh, let's talk about uh, what we are driving. Um, and Sam, I, you had this Cadillac CT6. Uh, I had a. Uh, it was funny. I jumped from the BMW M550i into a Mercedes E400. Uh, but, but Casey. Mm-hmm. Since you're the guest, we'll, we'll extend to you the opportunity to talk in depth about what vehicles you've been driving. So my daily driver is a 2011 335, um, which will probably tell you everything you need to know about my temperament and uh, how obnoxious I am. <laughs> my wife oh, it's, it's just... worse than that, though. For, for those that aren't familiar with ATP, it's a white BMW 335. Oh, you know, Wait, here we go. what color interior? Black. Ugh, you're killing me. Why is that <laughs> bad? Are you, are you one of those people who likes like Saddle Brown and like that awful red? I was going to say Oxblood, but Saddle Brown goes awesome with white. <laughs> Oxblood is such a nice combo. I am not a chromophobe. Moving along. Oh, my goodness. All right. We'll, we'll argue about that another time. But, um, yeah. but yeah, so my daily is a 2011 335 uh, six-speed M-Sport X-Drive. My wife That's just nice traded. Car. Thank you. Yeah, it's, we got it used, and it took me a long time to find. It turns out nobody buys six-speeds anymore, particularly not BMW drivers, which is a pain in the butt. But anyway, uh, my wife just uh, a couple of months ago got rid of her uh, 2007 Mazda 6 uh, Grand Touring, which I never really cared for in the sense that it was not a car that that really did much for me but it was a very lovely car that she kept for 10 years and uh, depending on the day might have enjoyed more than me but uh we just traded that in for a uh a 2017 uh volvo xc90 which is is a heck of an upgrade and and i quite like and i didn't expect to like it and i need to argue with you two a little bit later about census because uh, i was listening to the last episode and you're both terribly wrong about it but (laughs) the, the thing that i think you're most interested in is I know this guy, Sam, who was kind enough to put in a good word with uh, Alfa Romeo PR, and somehow I found myself, after many months of back and forth with Alfa Romeo trying to schedule it, in my, in, I found myself in a Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio, which is the hot rod uh, Giulia, and uh, I have so many problems, you guys. So many problems <laughs> with this car. So, the big, the, yeah, the biggest go, problem I have with it is that kind of liked the zf8 speed and i really don't like that i liked it and it makes me uncomfortable <laughs> well, mostly just because you're an avowed manual guy or yes or just, very much so yeah, yeah okay. i have i've driven a stick my entire life i took my driving test in a uh, five-speed saturn sl2 try not to be wowed you guys I, I'm, I'm i'm hoping that you're sitting down it's okay so there's just nothing, not like driving. nothing wrong with that that's a very good car I... for somebody to learn to drive in and yeah. to spend yeah, it's like driving a blender. <laughs> it's like driving a blender. <laughs> <laughs> it's, fine. it's just as oh loud. It, it was, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody about it today, and you know, it, it was all kidding aside. It was a very lovely car that was not a hell of a lot of money, and 
it was a very well optioned version of the Saturn SLT. It was a '94, and I loved that car. Well, well optioned fact- being a being a relative term, you know, as as sure. Saturn SLs went, <laughs> yes. it was. No, well, listen, I mean, well optioned mean it had like the nice fine the nice uh, cloth seats. It had no a, leather, a nice leather radio. Le- it, oh, had it had leather. leather. Mm-hmm. It had right. leather. It alloy had fog wheels. lamps. It fog had alloy lights, wheels. Yeah. Uh, no wing, which made me very sad because at that point, you know, I'm 16 years old. And it, it was not my car when I was 16. But it, uh, I wished for when it eventually became my car for it to have a wing because I was 16. Uh, it, it, did sure. not, it did not have an automatic and it did not have a good stereo when we bought it. But my dad uh, was a big audiophile at the time and, and basically took apart the car within a week of buying it and put in a really fancy aftermarket stereo. So anyway, so it had a, it had a Nakamichi tape deck. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it said something like that. It was, it was truly awful when it, when we bought it, did, but did he it put in a nice. turntable for you too? No, he did not put in a turntable, you jerk. <laughs> but it was a very nice CD player with a removable face. Do you remember those days when you had to take oh, yeah, the face off a, the CD I had player? Blaupunk, Blaupunk Aspen in my, mm-hmm. uh, my 740 turbo that, uh, the stereo the in my Miata plate. has a removable faceplate. Not that I've ever actually taken it off, but it, you know, it has. <laughs> I mean, if somebody yeah. really wanted the eighty dollars stereo that's in my Miata, you know, right. have at and it. You know, you, just, you just please just don't break the, the trim face. around it. You know. <laughs> yeah, so, so, I mean, so like history-wise, see, the Saturn was a lovely car. It was a great exercise. The problem was GM politics. Like they they peeled off this whole division to make this new car instead of making the rest of GM good. And yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's all. We can move on now. Yeah. So, so I had this Saturn, and it was then Rogers I, uh, folly. <laughs> I had a, I had a very brief window of time with a 91 300ZX, not turbo five speed, uh, which I loved. And I still, to some degree regret, uh, selling that car. It was obese. Well, it was should. slow. It was obese. No, it was the, slow, yeah. but it was beautiful. And I the, loved the it. The Z32 was like one of the first cars I ever fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. All right. Again, yep, it, so you know <laughs> another another five another five speed. Uh, then I had a Subaru Legacy GT, which I loved, uh, despite the fact that it it was often broken, which is going to be a running theme over time, as as we'll talk about. Uh, and that was a five speed. Then I got my six speed BMW. So I've driven a six you know a, a three pedal car my entire life, and I I have been devoutly opposed to anything that has a slush box in it. And I have been arguing with a with a good friend of mine who has a similar car pedigree. And he has sworn to me numerous times that, no, 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 you don't understand, Casey. The ZF8 speed is really good. You won't even be able to tell the difference between that and a DCT. And I've always said to him, no, you crazy person, you're wrong. I can tell the difference between a DCT and any slush box. Having but had the here's the thing. Room, it's not a Who slush cares? Box. It's not, it's either way. Like, yes, the ZF8 speed is a good automatic and there are DCTs that are good automatics. It doesn't matter. They're still automatic. So I'm on your side. Like if I can't <laughs> shift for myself, I'm really I'm having a lot less fun. Yep. Although I, I, I do like I do like the four speed automatic in the Crown Vic because it's so decisive because there's only four speeds. It's just like you have one place to go and that's a downshift at all times. There is there is no hunting <laughs> so for okay. gears that are not there. Right. right. They're all um, and that, they're all laid in front of you. So that's the thing with the ZFA speed, actually. I, I was making a point. Um, the that transmission, it's good, but it really, its goodness depends on who has programmed it. 
uh, and it can because I've I've driven cars with it where it's somewhat indecisive and it's like sluggish to to give you what you want. It, it's in that like unless you're in sport mode, it's like do you really want me to shift down? It's like yes, I'm merging. I want you to shift down <laughs> two gears and I want you to do it now. Um, yep. So it sounds like Alpha got this right at least in the quadrifolio. Well, yeah. The, the, th- the thing the thing about those transmissions is that they're especially in their in drive, they're all programmed to get maximum fuel efficiency on the the epa drive cycles it so you should never ever use one of those in drive you just put it in sport mode or you know or or manual mode and use it that way all the time and you'll be good to go but then they don't upshift all the way into top gear uh well again it depends as you said it depends on how it's programmed uh in some cases they do in some cases they don't all right. Well, Casey was going to chime in. Yes. Well, look, Casey. <laughs> no, it's all good. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I got this car and, you know, I was I was really amped to try it for a plethora of different reasons. Uh, number one, that motor. Um, number two, as it turns out, was that exhaust, which, oh, my word, I could talk for years about it. Um, but I, I just wanted to see what it was like to have a, a car that I really feel from my toes to the tip of my head had no business having an automatic and as you both are well aware you know we were told americans were not going to get the automatic or at the very least would get the manual and then at the 11th hour they changed their minds and i was really anxious to see how this worked out and i loved this car i had had a couple of faults but (laughs) i loved this car and for an eighty thousand dollar car one would hope that i would but as with my the same buddy that was telling me about the ZF8 speed and how wrong I was, he previously had a, a, a Volkswagen uh, R32. I don't remember exactly what vintage, but I want to say it was the first one that had the early DCTs that were garbage at slow speed, but pretty magical at high speed, or at least at the time. No, you're, and, you're right. You, you did have to drive the hell out of those to, to get yep. them to feel good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that car, that that R32, was one of the best point and squirt cars I've ever driven because you could just point the point the wheel, stand on the gas, and everything j- just got worked out. the The Julia was not quite so easy because it's rear wheel drive. Um, it was the first car I've ever driven where I felt like the the tire temperature genuinely made a difference because in the early morning when it was a bit chillier by my standards in in Richmond, Virginia. Um, when I when I laid on the gas a bit, regardless of mode, it would end up that I would have some wheel hop or even maybe get a little teeny fishtail going, which is which is not entirely unusual for me from from the Z32. <laughs> but it certainly I mean, like my BMW is four is four wheel or all wheel drive, I should say the the Subaru that preceded it was all wheel drive. So it's been a it's been about a decade since I've driven a rear wheel drive car, and I've never really driven a fast rear wheel drive car. So it was fascinating for me to see the difference in tire temperature because once they warmed up, it gripped pretty well. But the the point I'm very slowly meandering to is that it was phenomenally good at just letting me stand on the gas and even in manual mode, rip through gears, you know, extraordinarily quickly and not have to worry about really executing on gear changes. Do I prefer that? No, I don't. But it there is something semi magical about it when it's when you have a decent transmission made it to a 500 plus horsepower motor especially one that sounds that good and to go back to what i think sam had said a second ago what was striking to me was the difference between the three well really four different drive modes so you know you have uh, their dna which is what is it dynamic natural and uh, advanced efficiency do i have that right uh, i think so yeah something like that okay something like that so sure we'll uh, say yes <laughs> sure why not <laughs> close, close uh, enough 
so in dynamic mode, which is as close as you get to race without being in race, the, sh the shifts were aggressive. They were late in the good way. It would downshift more aggressively. And I only drove in automatic occasionally. Generally speaking, I was in dynamic and manual mode. But it was a wildly different transmission than advanced efficiency or eco mode, where it would upshift instantly and it was doggy I, I presume it changed the throttle response it just felt like a slow car and that's kind of by design right because it is eco mode but it was such a striking difference between the throttle response and the transmission programming between holy cow go fast mode and no i'll i'll take my time thank you yeah no that that's, that's I, about right that's about the way it felt for me too but that's what it's like it, it, there are so many other cars with the drive modes are a lot more subtle. Uh, maybe not the like super eco mode. That one generally does take all of the life out of any car. <laughs> but but uh, you know some cars have a really subtle distinction between normal and sport. And uh, you know funny the both the M550i from last week and the uh, the E400 this week they both have selectable drive modes as well. And there is quite a contrast uh, between the modes. Um, and and they, they even, you know, the Mercedes has gone far enough to be like sport and sport plus. And then they both had like individual settings where you could set things. So w what's actually nice is when you get something where you can select the sport steering and chassis with the eco throttle response. Because mm -hmm. you don't always want that like aggressiveness, especially if you're commuting during drive time. You kind of want the thing to just chill out a little bit. But when you get a corner you also don't want to flop around so <laughs> i i like that level and i'm I'm sure that you know in an eighty thousand dollar sedan like the the julia it's, it's pretty much the same thing um you probably have that that kind of level of of selectability that car is right within the class of the things i've been driving the last couple of weeks uh the f the, the weirdest thing to me and i think this is actually an alpha plot for um i don't know accolades in the market they they're always sending out the quadrifolio i've seen <laughs> very few reports about the lower trim julia which is also apparently a pretty good car but they only send out the quadrifolio to get everybody's impression on what, what's up with that sam uh this is what's known as uh, public relations so you put, you put your best <laughs> possible message out there and the best possible version of that message and you know you, you try you try to control the message in such a way that it, it gives you good press uh so you know if you have a really amazingly fast car and a somewhat less fast version of it you put the fast version in the press fleet and you know you hide the other one and you know if somebody if some magazine or somebody really begs for it then you say oh, yeah okay we'll get you one next month you know and that's just kind of the way the business works hmm. so i have a question with regard to that so the way and this was all new to me but the way this works uh is you know the the julia arrived and i guess it would be uncouth for the chase car the, for the delivery people that will take them back to their home base i guess it would be uncouth if that was like a prius or something like that so of course behind the quadrifolio is another julia but that one was not the quadrifolio it was the one that the i saw pick up you know, I, I didn't get a good look, but the one I saw at pickup, which was very interesting, I if I recall correctly, it did not have quad exhaust, and so I didn't think it was the Quadrifolio, but I could swear it had a QV badge on the back, 
and it had the quadrifolio style wheels. So either I'm wrong about the exhaust and it was a, a quadrifolio, or there's some sort of intermediate trim that I'm not aware of. Do, or do you guys know if there is, because I see that there's a Julia, Julia TI and the quadrifolio, but can you option like the TI or something to have like the quadrifolio wheels? Oh, it looks like you can. Uh, it could be, yeah, or or something similar to the quadrifolio style mm-hmm, wheels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't actually pr- I haven't tried to do a build and price on one of those. Um, I mean, it looked beautiful. I couldn't tell you if it performed worth a darn, but it looked just as nice as the quadrifolio did. And at a glance, I think I would have thought that it was one. Except the fact that it was pretty quiet, and and like I said, I don't believe it had quad exhaust. Yeah, it is a it is a pretty car, regardless. I think so too. Uh, I was talking absolutely. with my co-host, and one of my co-hosts is a big Ferrari fan, and he was lighting me up about how ugly this car is. And I think yeah, well, John's bananas. absolutely wrong about that. <laughs> I, he's, I'm he's, with as you. As, he's as wrong about that as you are about census, but we'll get back to that later. <laughs> oh boy, um, so. You know, with with the experience of owning a three series, mm-hmm. and then driving this car, which is somewhat a three series yeah, competitor, yeah. Or at least a BMW competitor overall. Uh, you know, what, compare and contrast those two. Uh, in terms of comfort, I think it was roughly the same. What was striking to me about the interior is that I feel like a lot of it was a straight rip of a modern BMW interior. And to me, that's a compliment to you guys. Maybe it isn't, but, um, I felt like a lot of it felt like a BMW. The gear selector is straight out of a BMW. Um, the iDrive was a crummy fake of a BMW or whatever, whatever they call their, um, their iDrive equivalent. Uh, garbage. <laughs> it was not, I didn't find it to be actively garbage, but it, I completely agree it was not very good. It was just kind of there. And what was frustrating about it was little things. So as an example, on my 2011, which does have iDrive, and it has the second generation iDrive, which was the first one that was actually usable, um, around the spinner that is the main you know control surface for the iDrive, there are four like quick buttons so there's nav radio um i think media and something else oh telephone and so from any point anywhere i can jump to any one of those four things i can jump directly to a map directly to the media directly to the to the phone uh and directly to the radio and that doesn't sound like that big a deal but it is a tremendous difference between that and the and the Julia, which only had basically menu and option. Wait, so, yeah, and that, Casey, are, are you telling me there was a radio in the Julia? <laughs> Touche, <laughs> sir. And you are right to say that the only thing I generally listened to was the the radio coming out of the four tips at the back of the car. But um, but yeah, like on the on the occasions where I wanted to listen to a podcast or something. Um, it was frustrating to work with. And additionally, it would connect to my phone for the purposes of telephone every single time I got in the car. But if I ever wanted to listen to Bluetooth audio, I had to go into media and tell it to connect to my phone again. It was the weirdest thing, but it was consistent every time I got in the car. Which so is wait a minute. Though, is, yeah, that's I mean, like the the cheapy aftermarket head unit that I put in, in my own car does that sometimes. But I, I expect more seamless operation from mm-hmm. a, a manufacturer sourced head unit. Um, no, that absolutely is, not. <laughs> wait, but I was going to say, look, you connect generally behaves better than that. This isn't, it's, this is not it's, the same you yeah. connect that you'll find in like a minivan. No, it's, it's no, not. It's, it's no, a completely no, no. different system from what you'll find in any of the, the North American, um, 
oh. FCA vehicles. Well, that's yeah. why it sucks, because it's got, like, Fiat infotainment. <laughs> in it. it does. And, I mean, Uconnect <laughs> is not anything I would be pretty particularly proud of, because I had a Grand Cherokee um, about a month ago, maybe a month and a half. And Uconnect is... Is well, I'm, so I've I am from the Northeast, but I've spent enough time in the South that I can say you connect is kind of a bless her heart situation. Oh, you real you're really <laughs> trying. Bless your heart. I, I, you're trying so hard, but it's just not working. And I think um, the problem the problem I have with you connect is that it is a it is just an absolute assault on my eyeballs. It is just so busy and visually loud. Functionally, it was very very good. Very, very good. There were some great features to it that I've never seen anywhere else. For example, being able to hit the map button from just about anywhere to see the current yeah. map as like a modal popover. Great wait, idea. Wait, 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 wait. You, you also, wait, this doesn't make sense to me because you say we're wrong about census, but you, you think Uconnect is functionally very good. Which I will agree with. So how are we <laughs> wrong about census, which is functionally awful, Okay, and then so, we're right about well, you know, Uconnect. I, th- I think I figured it out, Dan. The the XC90 is uh, Casey's wife's car, and hence <laughs> he must defend it at all costs. No, that's I, I don't. Uh, want to go yeah, with it's that. a Volvo, therefore costs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't don't tell <laughs> me. I, listen, I I own Volvos for years, so I, I'm familiar with the pain. Well, and I don't know the pain yet because the thing with the with the XC90 is that I have known people that owned Volvos like, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I was in high school, but I don't know people who have owned modern Volvos. And so I don't know if I've just bought like one of a billion different lemons that Volvo ships every year or if Volvo is super reliable. So I'm both petrified and anxious to see what the reliability is like on this Volvo, because without going into a long and boring story, the reliability in my 335 has gotten me from being the world's biggest BMW fanboy to swearing off BMW for my next car. Uh, yeah, modern is, Volvos did that for me. Which, which is what got, it, <laughs> got you into the uh, Alpha in the first place. You know, the, your, your discussion of uh, your issues with the BMW back last spring uh, is what uh, prompted me to reach out to you and see if you'd be interested in checking out the, uh, the Alpha. Which I kind of hate you for because now I really want one. Uh, yeah. But no, so, the- so yeah. I mean, and I will agree with you that you connect is like is is somewhat ugly to to look at, especially mm-hmm. the the newer versions of it. The earlier versions of it are, you know, a little little less busy like that because they had a smaller screen and and slower graphics and stuff. Uh, so they they were a little bit more conservative with it. But the the functionality is is nice and like your bmw the i remember when they came out with those buttons and that was that was a big deal because it was a joke right like oh they took all the buttons away and then they gave us back buttons when they figured out that you know you needed buttons to actually operate the car (laughs) Uh, and and that's that's still how they are you uh i drive still has buttons now or and it it Mm -hmm. is like comms map and and it's it's like eight now you know, for almost all of these systems, you know, from whether it's Audi MMI or Mercedes Command, you know, they, they've all got that. They, they've they've figured out that they, they need a balance in there somewhere. You, yeah. you know, the, the rotary control knob works really well for a lot of stuff, uh, you know, but having a few buttons to, you know, get you, you know, as shortcuts, basically, to get you to certain functions. Uh, exactly. is, it also helps a lot. Have you? Yeah, and, driven- and that's what I found. 
Have you guys driven a modern A4 with like the really, really like a 2018 or, or newer Audi? Because yep. yes, I have I have not had particularly pleasurable experiences with MMI from a couple of years ago, but I've understood it to be very different now, and I don't know if that's different, better or different, worse. No, they. they I absolutely adored the A4. Yeah, like that, I if if I could afford one, <laughs> which I can't, <laughs> I would I would buy one or that good? at least yeah. consider leasing. Oh, that car's. Yeah, the Great. new A4 debuted uh, a completely redesigned version of MMI, yep, 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 yep. which which now actually controls in the right direction when you turn the knob. So, oh, thank God! You, you know you exactly a, what I'm thinking of. When, when mm-hmm. you turn it clockwise, the item it goes down the menus, and when you turn it counterclockwise, it goes up. Um, oh, thank God! But uh, well, uh, what was I just driving? Um, couple of weeks oh the mini the, the mini it, whoever whoever did the original mmi i think is doing design for mini now because mini does oh, that no. with iDrive. It, it's you know it's, really yeah and God, but, that's, that's minis terrifying. are minis are bad <laughs> that's my that's my blanket statement <laughs> that's the official Boy, statement so we so we were talking about you connect and, and we're i keep you know dancing off the outer boinging off the outer atmosphere of the census discussion so I, you know, I, I haven't, I, I haven't with any regularity driven any sort of really and truly modern car. Like my, my, my 2011 BMW is not old by most metrics, but it's not really, really, really new. It's a lot less and old it, than my car. <laughs> Fair enough. And but, mine. Okay. So now make, now, now you're making me feel bad, but the point I'm driving at fellas <laughs> is that, uh, I don't, I've never driven with any regularity, a car with a touchscreen. Right. And I, and I've, I still Nothing don't wrong particularly, with that. well, and I agree. I don't particularly care for the touchscreen by and large. And I do think it's kind of silly how big the census display is, but some of that silliness is actually some of its advantage. Have you shown it to Marco? No, he hasn't visited since we bought it. But he has a Tesla Model S. I know, he has which a, has a ridiculous has a, screen in it. Right. He has an iMac in his center console. I mean, whatever. But the Census, it is... I feel like the Census is not too dissimilar from all of BMW in that I feel like everything about a BMW is extremely opinionated. And if your brain can work in the same way as, as the BMW designer's brains work you're in for a treat. And I think actually a lot of this is the same with Apple. And this is kind of where my podcast is from. So I think Apple is hugely opinionated, but if your brain thinks the same way, you are in for a great experience. If, however, you don't like the way Apple thinks or BMW, then you're going to hate every moment of it. And I feel like Census is quirky and opinionated. BMW to me is less quirky, but equally opinionated. Census is quirky and opinionated. But once you once I figured out kind of what they're going for, I actually really like it. And I think it's really flexible and it's not quite as responsive as I would like. I think that's the number one thing I would ding it on is that especially when starting the car, it takes a, you know 13 miles of driving before it actually starts responding to you. I'm exaggerating, of course, but it feels like forever. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe a little, but, uh, but I think in general, it works really well. And it, it, I like that you can have multiple things on like the main screen at the same time. There's one like highlighted thing, perhaps a map or your media or whatever, but you have two or three other things that are in like a window shade or like slimline mode. So you can see basic information about them so as an example if you have the map up unless you enlarge it to be full screen you can still see what radio station you're listening to or what podcast you're listening to or what track you're listening to and i like that it can kind of lightly multitask in that regard okay so those are those are definite like 
high points for a census. Mm-hmm. Um, my my biggest issue with it, I think, is that it's a giant touch screen that you cannot operate without looking at it. And one of the things That's that mm-hmm. was great about Volvo uh, ergonomics for four decades, because I owned a 240, I owned more than one 740, I owned a pair of S60s, all of those cars had very clear ergonomics you could operate without looking at the controls directly. So you could keep your eyes on the road and you sure. knew where things were. Um, you, I mean, you, you could see enough in your periphery where you, you just you cannot do that with census. There's no feedback. Uh, the touch targets, from what I recall, seem to be big enough. Um, and mm-hmm. they do still follow the convention. So if you want, like, you know, want to adjust the heater, you have that sort of human body kind of uh, uh, skeuomorphic thing where you yep, can yep. click on, you know, feet, head, whatever. Um, but, yeah, it is definitely slow. Um, and I've, like... How long did it take you to get used to where stuff is in there that seems to make no logical sense? That's, like, how and, many and screens that's do you have the to problem. Mm-hmm. That's the, unequivocally, the, the two, you've just nailed the two biggest problems with census. Number one, I, I don't think it's actually slow once the thing is, like, initialized, but at startup, it's awful. It's extremely slow at startup. But once it's got it, gotten itself together, then it, I don't think it's that bad. But number two... It took me probably a month of owning the car. Now, granted, I'm only in it, you know, once or twice a week because it's her car. But it took a month, maybe even two of us owning the car before I really understood where to go for anything. And I completely agree with you. And that's why I said it was so quirky, because I don't think that the decisions I understand them now, but they're not terribly discoverable. And it's That's an just understatement. An odd, <laughs> it's just an odd <laughs> arrangement. It's just a very odd arrangement because the, the main screen you're on is considered to be the center screen, if you will. So think of it like a, yeah. I, I'm used to Apple stuff. So think of it like, imagine if when you opened your phone, the, the, the home screen you land on by default is not the leftmost one. It's actually the center one. So you can swipe from right to left to get like a settings kind of pane well, it's not really settings. It's what is over there. It's all sorts of miscellaneous junk that you don't usually touch. Right. And then from the from the center, from the main screen, you swipe left to right to get to like the backup camera and uh, start stop on off and all of those other things. So I, I completely agree with you, Dan, that it is or both of you guys that discoverability is crappy. The speed is crappy at first and then not so bad after. Um but I do think once you can get your mind programmed to understand it, which is, which is indicative of a bad design to start, for sure. But once you can get your mind around it, I actually think it works pretty darn well. I, I see, we agree. I think that's, that's fair. Like, once you get used to it, and I think my, a lot of my hatred comes from the fact that I've only spent a week with these cars with senses. Oh, that's not enough. And so... <laughs> Yeah, you just never get used to it. And, nope, you know, and not. Uh, you know, clearly, you know, since this is a Swedish car, I think it's appropriate, you know, to describe this as Stockholm syndrome. You know, as you get used to it, <laughs> you, you become accustomed to it. <laughs> Even though they are built that's on the fair. other side of Sweden, but that's, you know. But no, it's so true. Right. 
Yeah, However, you know, uh, I think you know to to some to some degree, you know, you get accustomed to whatever you have, you know, and you get accustomed mm-hmm. to its foibles, and you you learn to work around them. To you know, and, and you know, the, we I think we've talked about this in the past. You know, it's like with voice voice recognition systems, when you know companies like JD Power do customer surveys, you know, and they do their initial quality survey, they get all kinds of complaints from customers, you know, in the first ninety days of owning the car about the voice recognition system sucking, and then when they do their long term quality survey or the durability survey after you've owned the car for two or three years, you know, then they said, you know, then the complaints about the voice recognition go away because people just realize, you know, they, they understand what the limitations are. And, you know, if they use it at all, they use it within those limits and it's no longer an issue. And, you know, I think to some, you know, the same thing applies to all the other elements of the infotainment system. Sure. But from, I, again, just coming back to, you know, last week I had an iDrive car and it was complicated and it didn't take me a week to figure it out. And I, I loved how configurable it was where you can actually set a delta between, you know, the temperature level that comes out at the floor vents and the temperature. You can you can set a delta so that you're you're actually dialing back the, the dash vents, a, a, you know, a preset number of degrees. So you're not cooking yourself, but you have warm feet. And like that's those cars are so configurable. And BMW has has that, I think, figured out at least for for my brain um, and, you know, command in the There's Mercedes this week is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like command is, is also pretty configurable, but I hate it. Because it's it's I, I spent a week with iDrive and command is an, its own other thing and it takes a little while to figure out and it's not as n- not as friendly not as intuitive I guess um, and so I think part of um, census is is that like intuitiveness and I I think the last thing that I will say about it is have you do you drive it at night occasionally mm-hmm. uh, what level of illumination. Do you prefer do you do you like it to be lit up like uh, a giant Times Square billboard or, or like dialed down? I think you're leading the witness a little bit, sir. Um, yeah. OK, I, for, for me, that's a lot of light pollution in the cabin. I think that's fair, especially coming from a BMW uh, where, you know, they tend to use an orangey red hue or at least mine is still from the era where they had like the orange LED or not LEDs, LCDs everywhere. Um, I, I'm certainly used to a far darker cabin and i think you're right there um but i don't know i think all in all it's quirky for sure which i think to some degree means like you guys had said it's swedish but i I don't think it's yeah it's volvo and i don't think it's that terribly bad at all well we'll we'll agree agree to disagree on that one but um no i think i think we came to consensus no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) you know know what would have been interesting though i mean if saab was still around i mean you know saab was the company that came up with the night mode you know on the the uh on some of their final few models of cars you know where you could press a button and it would turn off everything but the speedometer oh yeah 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 Mm yeah so you had no light pollution you know when you're driving at night and yeah, you know, it, it would be. I would be curious to see what Saab designers, if they were, if they were putting together a car t- in 2017, what they would come up with for an infotainment system. Um, you know, if if it was an independent company that you know wasn't part of GM, you know, like it was in its final years, um, and and not part of some some other company where it had to share the hardware. If they if they if they just had the freedom to do what. You know, to do what Saab designers always did, you know, and that now that's quirky. Um, you know, it, I'd, I'd love to see what they would do these days. 
Yeah. yeah. I, I can agree with that. The one thing, though, that I will say that is utter garbage about her car is the pilot assist program, which is what they call <laughs> the, you know, auto driving, self-driving, whatever. Um, partially automated. I, partially automated driving. Yeah, it's. Partially and inconsistently another, automated. Is, yeah, is the this r- is another blesser heart situation with the car. Like the car's trying really well, it's just not succeeding. And I try. I've only tried the pilot assist a couple of times. Once on like surface streets where it was an utter disaster, and once on the highway. And on the surface streets, I think Sam, you were saying last week that it loved that your, the car you were in loved careening off the road and like not realizing <laughs> that it was turning. I, I have had the exact same experience, particularly when there's like a, a an a side street that's either right before or during the apex of the turn. So that means that the white line on your right hand side is going with that turnoff. Well, as far as the car is concerned, it's just going to follow that line right into that turn and go onto a different street. And so in, in surface roads, it's just terrible. On the highway, it's okay. But the one thing that's really, really frustrating about the car is that it loves to have these extremely brief panic stops when there's nothing in front of it. It'll just like go, which is like that, that, oh my God, I'm I'm stopping the car because you're not paying attention, you idiot. And then it'll do that for just a second, stand on the brakes on your behalf. And then carry on like nothing ever happened. Yeah. I feel like and the, the first thing you do is like you look. Yeah. You look in the rearview mirror like, am I about to get rear-ended because yeah. I just brake check someone? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. It's the yeah. weirdest thing. And I don't know if it's a normal Volvo thing, a normal like radar safety collision detection thing. But it's very, very weird and very scary because you feel like, oh, my God, did I run over a child and not realize it? Because what is this <laughs> thing whining about? Because I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I've had that happen in in more than one car uh, across several makes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean the, the the biggest problem I've had consistently with a lot of cars is not so much you know the the random automatic emergency braking that you described, but just more that the cameras are unable to consistently detect the lane markings, and so you yeah, know when, when yeah. they're supposed to do lane keeping, uh, you know they. They just say, well, sorry, I can't see any lane markings, so you're on your own. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> even when you're on a, a, you know, a freshly paved road with nice, clear markings, it, you know, that when things like that happen, it's just, you know, it, it, it says, you know, why did I bother to spend the money on this system? It's just not worth it. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate. And, you know, I think it, it has the potential, you know, by pushing out this technology prematurely, you know, before it's really robust, you know, it has, has the potential to, um, you know, destroy consumer confidence in it. And, and also, you know, when we start to get into more highly automated vehicles, you know, people might not trust it as much. Yeah, I can yeah. Really agree. Well, and it's, it is interesting to see how all of these premium brands are doing it. Cause the premium brands are the ones that really have it uh, figured out. They've got kind of a lead on everybody else. They came out with it first. Um, and I, I know I've given plenty of love to BMW on this podcast already, but <laughs> you know I was impressed with all of those systems. All of the and I talked about it last week on the podcast. Um, th- they're really good, and they they can detect even like you know partial New England road lane markings that are like mostly scraped away by plows. It could figure it out at night in the rain, and I, I was very impressed with that. 
Um, and, uh, you know, the E400 seems to be not quite as good, but still very good at, at detecting the lane markings. And I was expecting it to um, to do the same thing that you were talking about, where it'll, it'll follow that right lane, uh, that, that right line marking as it goes off and exit and then freak out and get confused. Um, so maybe I anticipated that and compensated for it, but I didn't, I didn't find, um, the five series doing that. It, it would, it knew what the hell it was doing <laughs> for, for the most part. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, I, as, as much as we talk about this stuff being a little antithetical to somebody who's a driving enthusiast, um, when it works well, it's, it's actually, uh, comfortable to use and it, it, it's, um, it, it's not something that, that like, makes me rage <laughs> so i was i was uh surprised by that and I'm, I'm also disappointed that volvo doesn't seem to have it together because they're they're pretty good i mean when you think yeah. about the amount of tech they've got in that that car they've got you know city safety they've got um the pedestrian detection and all like volvo has for years staked its reputation on safety and they continue to develop systems it just seems like they're not not quite as good as some of the competition. Yeah, I'll be I'll be very curious to uh, to see how their um, their automated driving test that's going on, their Drive Me program that's going on in Sweden and a couple other locations uh, works out because you know they they're they're actually working with uh, a different supplier for the camera system. Uh, they're not using Mobileye. Um, and they're 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 switch, they've switched over for that. They're using AutoLeave. Hmm, I didn't know that. The, uh, the the Grand Cherokee that I had, this reminds me that the biggest issue I had with that was it's, I, I don't know if it was like a side collision warning or lane departure warning, but consistently, if I was in a situation where I'm stopped at a light, and let's say I'm making a left-hand turn, but there are two left-hand turn lanes. So there's the inner lane, and I'm in the outer of the left-hand turn lanes, closer to the lanes that are traveling straight. I'll come to a stop. There's a car to my left. We're both going to make a left. I start to take off. The second I do, wait, 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 because it thinks I've, I'm going to hit the car next to me every single time. It was infuriating. Oh, my word. It was so frustrating. And then the other thing I wanted to say was, uh, have both of you driven a Tesla with autopilot? I have. I, I've okay. driven the first generation not. autopilot, not the not the second generation. I don't know what I think I was in a second generation autopilot. I drove it for literally one or two exits down an interstate and it was a sum total of maybe three miles. And by comparison to the Volvo, that seemed so much closer to being functionally there. Like the Volvo, you well, can that was almost that was almost certainly the first generation system because everything we've heard about the second generation system, it's not nearly as close to being there as the original. Oh, really? Was. Yeah, because they oh. they you know, what they did. You know, the first generation system they they used Mobileye hardware and, and software uh, against Mobileye's wishes, and we, when they had that uh, little incident in Florida, uh, they ditched Mobileye and started all over again, doing it all on on their own. And uh, apparently it's still not nearly as good as the original system. Oh, well, just kidding then. Well, it, this was about a year and a half ago, I want to say. Oh, so yeah, maybe. then that's definitely the original, the okay, version okay. one. Okay. All right. Well, then I take all of it back. But at the time, <laughs> at the time, it was really good. But yeah. uh, I was stunned by how good it was. In fact, it was a lot of the Model S actually was extremely stunning. And and in a lot of ways, the Model S is the antithesis of what I want. Right. I want a, a Julia Quadrifoglio, but with a stick. I want something loud, fast, slightly obnoxious, but mostly innocuous, unless you know what you're looking at. Um 
and the the model s is stupefyingly fast but quiet and heavy but that being said and, and an automatic but that being well it's not really an automatic i should say it's just it's just there it's just <laughs> yeah. one gear but um but i i loved the model s as well and i think it was a similar experience to the quadrifolio in that it was infinite power from any speed and i actually described to my friend who has the model s you know when he was asking about the alfa romeo well, what is it like and i said well <laughs> You know, it's kind of like your Model S, but it sounds way better. And I think that that's a pretty solid summary of the of the Alfa Romeo. But what I haven't driven in a long time is a Cadillac. And before I bought the BMW, I very nearly, and I think I would have if I had the money, bought a CTS-V six-speed. Because at the time, you could you were starting to be able to find the supercharged ones that were not affordable, but they were coming into the realm of affordable. And I didn't buy one because it was still unaffordable. But what is a modern Cadillac like, Sam? Is it good or is it a complete dumpster? They're, no, they're they're outstanding cars. Uh, yeah. You know, I, in fact, you know, the, the previous generation CTS-V that uh, I think that you're probably referring to um, was that was that's one of my all-time favorites i mean i loved driving that car um i did as well that, yeah the, the powertrain in that thing was just amazing uh, yeah and and uh unlike the quadrifolio it was available with a six-speed manual transmission even mm -hmm. in a station wagon a, a uh, six but it was also very good with the it was very good with the automatic yeah if i recall yeah no the, the auto was good too but you could get the uh, the six-speed manual transmission station wagon which was just phenomenal um but not, uh, not attractive it was phenomenal but not attractive i, I liked it not from I, the back. i liked it as well yeah. not from uh, the okay. back you guys oh, the, Come the on. wagon you mean yeah 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 yeah, the, I mean it's a thing yeah you have to <laughs> so we, we should anyway it, we should it, clarify it's a, it's a car journalist thing Car journalist. Yeah, yeah, it's a car. So I, I much prefer the sedan. To be a real car journalist, Casey, you're going to have to learn to love station wagons. No, I, I don't have a problem with station wagons. I just think that CTSV was a particularly ugly car when seen directly from the back. From any other angle, it was okay, but from the back directly. And I actually think, in, in a similar way, the the E four hundred that you were talking about, Dan. I just do not like Mercedes hindquarters, and I haven't for a while. I like their obsession with the the shooting brake look. I just don't care for it. The same, I think, a similar problem with actually with the BMW four series. It's really really good until you get to about halfway through the rear wheel, and then it all takes a turn for the worse. <laughs> Well, anyway, I, um, we get we get digress. Yeah. Well, I, I was driving a Cadillac last week, uh, but not the, not a CTSV. In fact, it's in a way almost kind of the antithesis of the CTSV because it was the CT6 plug-in hybrid. Um, you know, so the CT6 is Cadillac's big sedan, and you know, driven a couple of them now, a couple of different versions of it. Uh, most recently, about a month ago, I did a long a road trip in the. Uh, the version <clears throat> with Super Cruise, uh, but this one was the the plug-in hybrid, uh, which is actually, believe it or not, built in China and imported from China because it's it's mostly for the Chinese market. Uh, but th so they're they're that's why they're building them over there. But they are importing them here, and it's it, it, if you can imagine, you know, a really big Chevy Volt. That's kind of what it's like because you're not really selling it. Yeah, That's... definitely not selling it at well, all. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a big, you know, full size rear wheel drive sedan. Um, it's got a two liter turbocharged four cylinder engine. Um, 
and and then it's got uh, a plug-in hybrid powertrain uh so you know it's a rear wheel drive version the battery is actually um it's a repackaged version of the battery in the in the volt uh so it's you know the same same cells same capacity 18 kilowatt hours but it's uh put into a more rectangular shaped pack and put in the the uh, the trunk behind the rear seat um and it's got about, you know, I was regularly getting about uh, 32, 33 miles on a charge on purely electric. You know, so you can drive this thing around town, you know, all day, you know, um, with no problem without using a drop of gas in this thing. And still, you know, gives you plenty of plenty of uh, acceleration, even without running the engine. And then uh, when it runs out of battery or if you really accelerate hard, it'll uh, turn the engine on and you get about 330 foot or 330 horsepower. Uh, and it's it's a really nice car. I like it a lot. I mean, I've I've liked the CT6 since the, the first time I drove one, um, and I continue to be impressed by it. Unfortunately, you know, because it's a big four-door sedan, it's exactly the antithesis of what most American consumers want to buy these days, which is sport utility vehicles. And so they sell very few of them, unfortunately, because if you know if people actually checked this thing out and tried it out. I think a lot more people would be buying them. How's the infotainment in it? Are, the, are they on modern infotainment now? Yeah. So the um, for the, the 2018 models, they've got an updated version of the, the Cadillac Q system. Q, uh, the original version of Q launched back in 2012. Um, and the, the new version has much more processing power. They've simplified it a bit uh, in terms of some of its capabilities. They took out some of the stuff that um, was kind of gimmicky in the original. Like the, they got rid of the haptic feedback. Uh, they got rid of some of the the swipe gestures that weren't particularly discoverable so you know the the basic layout of q you know it's a it's a four by two grid you know so do you guys use um carplay in your in the volvo occasionally yeah and you know what's funny about it is one of my favorite features of having carplay in the volvo is that we only paired aaron's phone my wife's phone with the car but I can take my phone and plug it in and use it for CarPlay without interrupting like, well, I guess actually, I don't know if the, if it would disconnect the Bluetooth, but without like having to have this situation where every time my phone enters the car, the car is confused over which phone to connect to. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I can, so I can plug it in and use it for CarPlay briefly and then I unplug it and then it's, everything is back to being strictly Aaron, which okay. is, which is a really nice touch. But to more directly answer your question, we use it on a occasion but not generally okay well the cadillac q you know it's got a similar kind of you know grid layout of the icons to get you into the basic Mm -hmm. functions it's it's a much simpler system than than census you know in terms of its ui um and i I think it generally works pretty well it's more responsive than it used to be um and then on top of that it does have support for uh carplay and uh android auto uh just as, as census does um it's got um wireless phone charging so you know you can put your new iphone 10 you know put it down on the thing there and Mm -hmm. it'll charge with with qi charging um and it also has support for the pma standard but but there aren't any phones that actually have that built in so i'm think i'm sure it's only a matter of time before gm dumps that part of the functionality but um you know the the infotainment system's good uh no no real complaints with it um 
you know, when you're when you're using, um, I mean, I use Android Auto. You know, occasionally test with with CarPlay just to to try things out. Um, but uh, you know, I, I use Android Auto, and you know, so when you press the the voice button on the steering wheel, or you just say, "Okay, Google," you know, it automatically pops. <laughs> unless my phone just did, it automatically pops up and <laughs> and does does what you want it to do. And you know, so you know, it, it works really well. You know, I always try out the stock infotainment systems to see how they perform. Uh, but then, uh, you know, inevitably, I ended up going back to Android Auto um, because. You know, it's got all my stuff. You know, it's got Pocket Casts on there because Marco doesn't do Android versions of anything, um, and so it. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it it it. I think it works really well. You know, and the car. You know, is you know for a big luxury sedan. You know, it's it it still handles really well. You know, especially considering its size. But you know, I mean, it it for its size, it's not. Uh, it, it's actually a, a relatively light car for its size. You know, the base CT6 is only about, th- I think, a, a little more than 3,600 pounds, uh, which is, I think, about 1,000 pounds less than your XC90. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, and, you know, it, it you know, with the, you get the 32 miles of electric driving range, and then even when it's running in hybrid mode beyond that, uh, it still gets about 45 miles per gallon overall. So, you know, it's it's really hard to complain about anything about this car. You know, if, if you like a, a big, comfy sedan that that still is feels relatively nimble, um, you know, it's not it's not a sports sedan like the, the M550, uh, but it, at least not in not in this form. But it, it has more than adequate performance. And, you know, I think it's it's a very handsome looking car, too. You know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm looking at the build and in, in configure page, build your own page on on Cadillac uh, dot com, and I see net price seventy six thousand ninety dollars. Just earlier today, I configured a Julia as the one I tested, and that was seventy nine and change. Why on earth would one spend seventy six thousand dollars on the CT six CT six plugin and not spend three thousand more dollars? on the Julia Quadrifoglio, unless you were really concerned about gas prices. Oh, those are two different... <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know it's, they it's are, but come buyers. on. It's a completely... I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. For myself, if I was going to spend 80 grand on a car, I would buy the Julia over the, over the CT6. No question about uh, yeah, it. Yeah, I would as well. But I, I would as well. But those are those are two yeah, different. I mean, I'm 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 not I'm not the audience for this car. But, sure. You know when when I you know when I try out these cars, I I try to you know I, I look at it you know from what I like, but I also try to to consider the perspective of who is the audience for this car and is the target audience going to like this car? And I think you know somebody that wants something that's um, you know uh, you know. Uh, a, a fair, you know, a nice clean design, you know, that's, that's not, uh, overwrought, you know, that, that's, that's a very, uh, you know, it's, it's mod- I think it's modern looking, you know, but, um, not, uh, not overdone, uh, in some respects, you know, that, uh, handles reasonably well is extremely roomy, uh, has very nicely finished interior, you know, that, that wants a, a luxury sedan, you know, and is, wants decent performance but you know not you know is not looking for a four-door race car um you know for that customer i think this is an excellent choice look let's be honest the only ct6s i have seen around the boston area have livery plates on them 
<laughs> and so the livery companies, they're not going to mind because the least that they get on the CT6 yeah. is probably attractive and it fits all of their needs. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, and you know, as, as it's the same with Continentals, by the way. Right, and you know, like, as, as I was describing, you know, who that customer is, I began to realize that there aren't very many, very many of those people left. You know, all those people are buying big SUVs instead. And, you know, I think when Cadillac introduces whatever they end up, probably the XT7, you know, next year, uh, which is probably going to be their, their big uh, three-row crossover, that's the, the, the car that the CT6, uh, the customer that the CT6 was designed for when it was designed six years ago is probably going to be buying the xt7 not the ct6 unfortunately you know yeah. uh, speaking of suvs again um must we I j- <laughs> well <laughs> I, I just wanted to uh completely agree with something that you two said last week which i forgot to bring up earlier the t6 the the volvo t6 uh four-cylinder super turbocharged 300-ish horsepower power plant in the xc90 it has no business being as good as it is and it is really freaking good which is exactly what you two said last week but truly like having lived with this car since july i believe we got it it is truly good and one of my favorite things about it is aside from the fact that it makes you know really good power across the the rev range you know considering that it's hauling this 4500 pound car or whatever it is but uh, a couple of times, uh, including lately when I was in the Julia, there was one occasion when I was next to Aaron in her car and I had my window open because the Julia sounds so phenomenally good. But we were taking off from a stoplight just at you know, normal speed, not nothing obnoxious. We were taking off from a stoplight. And when you're next to the hood of the Volvo, you can actually hear the supercharger whine, which is such a weird and delightful thing to hear from this freaking XC90. And I just love it. And I just I meant to bring up earlier that you two are absolutely 150 percent right about that t6 power plant it is it has no business being good and it is very very good we agree with it's amazing percent on that it's amazing <laughs> um and volvo like for years has done turbos and they've done turbos yeah, really yeah, yeah. well to the point where they're you know reliable they're generally not any issue the biggest issues i had with my my last uh turbos in, in that sense were you know the oil seals on the the turbo oil return line Mm-hmm. leak and like that's that's normal that's kind of a wear item um with the supercharger in the mix i don't know what reliability is like man <laughs> that, that is a great great engine and superchargers are just the best because they're so responsive they're just like an amplifier and yeah, it's just like yeah, yeah well put uh you don't have to wait for turbo lag and they've got everything managed with the electronics that is just it's it feels very linear so uh yeah i'm i was i'm impressed with that one and i don't think we need to talk about the E400 this week any more than we did. I know we haven't really actually gotten to any other topics because <laughs> we've gone here and there, and, and that's okay. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, so I, I figure we'll just tee that one up for next week and we can we can talk about it uh, the next time around. Um, but uh, Sam, you actually, you had it out last week, or I guess earlier this week. Yeah. You were... You were out in uh, in San Francisco. Did you get to what is it, the House of Prime Rib or Prime Rib House? Uh, oh, I did, so I did, good. I did not make it there. Um, <laughs> Sam, yeah, you know, oh come on, man, it's so good. I, I got in. I got into uh, San Francisco on Sunday afternoon, and um, did you know that um, there is like literally nothing open in 
downtown San Francisco or like in the financial district. I thought you were going to say there is literally nothing worth going to San Francisco. No, I actually, actually kind of like San Francisco, you know, but I mean, I, there, there, I kid, there, I kid. There was there were no restaurants open, you know, in the anywhere in the vicinity of of my hotel, which you know was like right in the financial district. You know, everything was closed. Even McDonald's was Look closed. Out. But you know, any financial district on a weekend is closed. It doesn't matter where you are. Yeah, but usually there's at least a couple of restaurants open. But, you know, anyway. Uh, so, okay. needless to say, <laughs> I, I didn't get to the House of Prime Rib this time. Uh, maybe next time. I'll be back out in, in Silicon Valley in a couple of weeks. Uh, so, and I may be getting in, back into the city for some meetings as well. So, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try it one of these other times. I only have three more trips to the, to the West Coast this year or so. Um, anyway, the reason why I went out there uh, was got invited by uh, the folks at Waymo uh, to come uh, and visit their their top secret test facility, which is buried out in the Central Valley of California. Uh, you know, and they, they call it the castle. Uh, they asked us not to say exactly where it is, but you know, if you you know just go looking around for castle and Central Valley, uh, you can narrow down the the search pretty quickly. Um, and the, they brought us out there, you know, to give us our first opportunity to try, you know, to learn more about uh, their automated driving program and actually go for a ride in one of their automated Chrysler Pacificas. And uh, unlike most of the rides that I've taken in various autonomous cars over the last few years, um, this was the first one since the the, the very first ride I had in an autonomous car was at 2008 CES in the Chevy Tahoe that uh, won the DARPA Urban Challenge. And that one, there was nobody sitting in the driver's seat. And this was the first time since then that I've been in an autonomous car where there wasn't a safety driver in the driver's seat. And oh, it was that's scary. Yeah. And so, you know, they we drove around the, the test track. They've got a 91 acre facility out there and we're riding in the back. And, you know, what they wanted us to, to see was, you know, how it interacted with pedestrians and cyclists and other vehicles. But they also wanted to show us the the uh, the user experience that they're trying to design for these vehicles, because, you know, these are going to be used for ride hailing type of applications. And. You know, one of the big problems that, uh, you know, with autonomous vehicles is that a lot of people don't trust them. Yeah. And so they're everybody that's doing this stuff or, or most of the companies that are doing this stuff. One of the areas they're working on is how do you build trust in these vehicles? Yeah. And I mean, Casey, you know, for you, I mean, I, I think you've probably never been in an autonomous car at this point. Would you trust mm. a car, a self-drive, a, a truly self-driving car? I don't know. It's such a tough thing. And, you know, I'm actually a, a software developer by trade. And the thing that scares even me more about, reason not to trust software. <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, you joke, but you're right. No, I, I mean, I, I, I was I, I did software development, you know, for in the auto industry for many years. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think the thing that I'm concerned with is and you know, I'm not the first person to think this, but what is the algorithm for when the car has to choose between killing six children or 17 adults? You know, like what, oh, the what trolley is, problem. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of what the term was. But yes, we're saying the same thing. Like, what is the programming for that? And how does that work? And I don't know what I would do in that situation, to be completely honest with you. But 
it concerns me those sorts of events. And also it concerns me like, again, Aaron's Volvo is panic stopping because a leaf has flown by, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that does not instill an overabundance of confidence. I know they're completely different systems, et cetera, et cetera. But it does just, just it does not instill confidence that we're anywhere close to where we should be. So to your first question about the, the, the trolley problem, the ethics question. Yeah. Right. Um, aside from the unfortunate instances where someone actually does something like that deliberately, as we unfortunately saw on that same day when I was out in California. Um, how often do you actually hear about something like that ever actually happening? Oh, pretty much never, but right. you still, it's, but it's you still a, have to write the code for it in uh, case well, it does. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, it's the, you know, it, it's, it's an extremely rare occurrence. And, you know, from talking to some of the, incredibly smart people that are working on this stuff. Some, you know, some of the smartest people I've ever met, you know, the, it, it's increasingly, you know, the, the idea is coming forth that maybe we don't actually have to deal specifically with that problem. If we deal with the fundamentals, right. And try to design it not to crash, you know, to, to whatever degree possible to, to never hit something on purpose. Um, you know, so that, you know, whatever, whatever the sensors can see, you know, you, you know, you always make the control decisions so that you don't come into contact deliberately with something else. I mean, if, if some, you know, if somebody runs an intersection and T-bones you, I mean, obviously that's beyond, beyond your control, but, you know, you design it not to crash. And that's that's what Waymo is doing. And that's what most of these companies are doing. You know, and then there's there's other things you can do to, to mitigate the to further reduce the risk of that kind of scenario happening. You know, but even, you know, if, if it comes close to that kind of scenario, you know, but essentially, you know, you're you're by trying to design it not to crash into something, crash into anything and protect itself and its occupants, then you're very rarely ever going to get into that situation, probably less, less frequently than a human driver doing it, even accidentally. So there. Yeah. But I think that that's, that almost sounds like, um, blue sky thinking like, no, no, no. If we make it good enough, it's never going to need to have uh, that. No, everybody uh, acknowledges. Yeah. No, everybody acknowledges that. Um, you know, the crashes are going to happen. I mean, you know, the system's never going to be perfect. You're never going to get to zero fatalities. But, um, you know, I think if you if you design it, you know, to minimize the risk of a crash, then you make that such an infrequent problem that you you, ba you don't really have to design specifically for that scenario is what I'm saying. Um, well, what do you do instead then? You panic stop when a leaf floats yeah. by. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> like, no, like it's, I, I'm saying actually, that to, a, also, to a degree. To a degree, you're right. You know, you 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 know, if you break as hard as you can in that kind of scenario, I mean, you know, generally what you want to do is you want to look as far ahead as you can, you know, and break as soon as you can, you know, as gently as you can, so that you avoid getting into those situations as much as possible. And, you know, even if it does happen, you know, you, you minimize the contact speed, you know, and you minimize the, the potential damage when something does happen. So those are the kind well, of look, things you target. I mean, if it comes down to trusting the the hardware and, and software, you know, trusting the cars systems to be looking ahead and reacting, uh, 
Yeah, I actually, I trust those more than my fellow drivers because I see people completely not paying attention. And that's honestly a lot of crashes are just rear ending, you know, crashes from people just being off in la la land. Right. Uh, and so and these sensors uh, are, are never going to be distracted. So there, there's that. Right. That's not to say that they're going to be perfect, but, you know. No, they'll be coated with snow sometimes. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's that that's actually an issue. You know, and, you know, that that's that's a real problem. You know, that's a production engineering problem that everybody's trying to figure out the best solutions to. But in terms of building the trust level for the people riding in the car, you know, you, Casey, you talked about, you know, you know, the system being triggered by a leaf blowing by, you know. That's one of the things you have to do is, uh, you know, you have you have you try to you you make the um, detection systems more robust, you know, so that they can recognize what are the things that we actually have to be worried about and what are the things we can ignore. You know, a leaf, excuse me, a leaf blowing by, you know, that's something we can ignore you know, and, and recognizing all the different pieces, all the different objects that are out there in the environment around the vehicle. And one of the things that they're doing, you know, the user interface inside the car uh, in these Pacificas is, you know, in front of each seat, there's a screen that is showing you uh, a curated version of what the sensors are seeing. Yeah, and this this is one of the from a UI design perspective, one of the things that you know that designers are working on is trying to find the right balance between providing enough information and and not too much information, so you're not overwhelming whoever's looking at it. But the goal is to show the person sitting there what the sensors are seeing, so that when they look around them, they can they can see that you know, oh, there's some traffic cones there, you know, where there's, a, you know, some work being done. And, oh, they're showing up on that screen in front of me because the sensors are seeing them. You know, and it's showing you the, all the lanes on the, on this road. And, oh, there's three pedestrians, you know, walking down the sidewalk, and there they are on the screen in front of me. So building that trust level that way by showing enough information so that you can be confident that the sensors are seeing all the things they should be seeing and ignoring the things that, that don't matter. Um, and so that's, that's kind of a, a big part of what this ride was, was all about is so we could see all those pieces, um, you know, and, and see how they did it, you know, so they, you know, and I'm sure you've seen, you know, some of the images that you get like from the LIDAR sensors, you know, with all the, this massive point cloud of all the objects around, you know, and, Rather than put all of that into this display, um, they're putting a, a, a pared down version of it that shows you the important things you need to see. And it's kind of cool, you know, as the car drives along, every few seconds you'll see it slowly, you know, kind of pulse up. You'll see that that point cloud appear. It'll come into, into view and then fade back away again and then a few seconds later come into view just enough so that you can see oh yeah okay the the, the lidar is seeing all the trees and the buildings and everything else around me but you know the important things that it needs to deal with on the road it's it's you know those are the things it's focusing on it makes sense so, to do that to do it that way to show to show people that, that no we've got this under control like look we've got it but I don't know that would that would certainly get me closer to trusting it but I still don't think I would actually trust it. I I hear you. I mean I you know as, as I said as, as an engineer that worked on you know electronic control systems for cars for many years you know I, I, it. It was. A, it took a long time. You know, it took those systems being on the road f for many years before I would actually buy one and, and put members of my own family in those vehicles. And even now, 
you know, when I'm, when I'm driving these vehicles, you know, as, as an engineer that tested this stuff, you know, on, on test tracks and on the road, you know, I'm always monitoring these things. Uh, you know, when I try out, you know, lane keeping systems and, and partially automated driving systems like super cruise, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for when it's going to fail. You know, I'm, I'm assuming that it's going to do something wrong and looking for that and ready to take over. Even, even with adaptive cruise control, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, keeping an eye on it, uh, assuming that at some point it's going to miss something. Um, and fortunately, most of the time it doesn't, at least with, with those systems. But, you know, the things like drive pilot and, and uh, uh, you know, pilot assist, you know, those those tend to fail more often. Uh, but it's it's definitely, it, uh, you know, it, I'm seeing the progress happening over time and it's it's getting closer. And eventually they'll they'll get there to a system that's reliable enough that you know if i had if i had young kids i might even consider putting them in one of these vehicles yeah so i guess that was my question was i would have no problem especially in the situation you described where you're on like a 90 something acre facility and like you know nothing's really going to go awry i'd have no problem risking my own life and limb and getting in and like yeah take yeah. take me away jeeves but what, um no just trying to yeah um but it 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 sounds like it's getting there. So what was it like? Describe it like for, you know, your experience with it so that we can sort of live vicariously through your trip to San Francisco. <laughs> so it was a three hour bus ride from San Francisco out to the test. <laughs> okay. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and you were not driving. You yeah, see, no. that was an autonomous vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean the, the ride in the, in the self-driving minivan, you know, was absolutely utterly uneventful which is exactly the way it should be. You know, I mean, there were, there was no demo fail, you know, it did exactly what you expect it to do. Um, you know, and, and one of the things we saw them doing out there, you know, they, they uh, Waymo put out this uh, safety report a few weeks ago where they talk about, you know, how they designed the system, how they tested and everything and validate it. And, um, you know, they, one of the things they talked about in there is they, um, they're doing, you know, in addition to on the road testing, they've accumulated about three and a half mile, three and a half million miles of on road testing over the last eight years. Uh, most of it in the last two years. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they're also doing uh, a lot of simulation testing. And right now they're accumulating about 10 million miles a day of simulation testing. They did about two and a half billion miles of simulation tests in 2016. And they're, they're adding another 10 million miles a day now, but they're still doing a lot of real world testing, you know, both out in, out in the world, but also on the track, you know, uh, the, taking scenarios that they've seen that you know may challenge the system, and they're replicating those uh, on the road and, and you know putting little variations into it to see how it behaves. And they, you know they demoed some of those for us, like they showed one situation where uh, you know a car, you know the 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 minivan was coming around a curve, you know in what would be a, a residential neighborhood, you know maybe coming into a cul-de-sac or something, and. Uh, a car was backing out of the driveway and, you know, so it had to detect that. But then the second run they did, they had a car parked 
on the on the street just before the driveway that the other car was backing out of so it was blocking the view of the other car so we got to see the difference in response of the van you know as it as it had different variations of the same scenario and uh so they, they do a lot of this kind of testing every day uh out at this facility and then you know they're out driving around you know collecting miles in in the real world as well on regular roads with with a lot of traffic um and you know between what we've seen from waymo and and you know videos that have been put out by cruise automation and and other companies you know we see that they are making real progress um and you know it's you know i think in by you know by the middle of next year we are going to see some larger pilot tests of these systems you know carrying passengers uh you know regular passengers uh in these vehicles you know in in a variety of locations in san francisco and phoenix and uh you know cruise is going to start testing in manhattan uh next early next year uh so there's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on and you know over the next few years we're, we'll see more and more of this in in places where there's where they're confident that the systems can actually work how, how did it behave? Was it smooth? Was it jerky? Oh, yeah, was no, it, was, it, like... it was totally smooth. It was the smoothest system I've ridden in yet. Um, yeah, and that's one of the things that they're they're focusing on is you know they didn't they don't want it to be jerky. You know the acceleration you know is smooth. You know d- you know braking is uh, you know it, it it drives fairly conservatively. You know so the braking uh, you know the braking was was deceleration was was minimal. Uh, you know and part of that. Uh, is both for safety, but also um, keeping it as smooth as they can. They're also trying to minimize the potential for people getting motion sickness when they're riding in these vehicles. You know, my passengers always complain about that. <laughs> about motion sickness? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was funny, actually. That's one of the things that Aaron said about the uh, Alfa Romeo. Now, she is very pregnant at the moment. She's doing a couple of months, but uh, she had, she had, uh, said to me, I, I was going to say complain, but she didn't complain. It was more observational, like, wow, this thing is really jerky. And I think a little bit of that was me. Uh, I think a lot of that, though, was being in dynamic and manual modes, because as we discussed earlier, the, the, the shifts were so fierce. But when I put it in eco mode, she was quite a bit more content with that. The other, the, but that reminds me, though, did you guys, well, I guess just Sam, did you ever get to the point that the brakes were were gradual because i feel like those brakes and i don't believe my tester had the ceramics they were either not applied or full lock <laughs> it was like <laughs> nothing in the middle it was infuriating um no for i mean for for mine you know they, they were uh they were pretty good I, I didn't have any complaints like that about it uh it's possible that you know maybe the pads were a little glazed on yours and so you kind of had mm-hmm. to put more pressure on it before it really started to grab um that that wouldn't surprise me, especially on a press car that, you know, that had glazed brake yeah. pads. Every barbarian who writes for something on the East Coast has had that car. So. East Coast, West Coast, <laughs> no for, coast. They're all they're all barbarians. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of them don't even know how to drive. <laughs> well, they're, you actually, you'd, you'd be surprised. You ride with you'd them. be surprised how many automotive journalists don't know how to operate a manual transmission. Uh, yeah, that's a growing uh, contingent. Yeah, that makes yeah. me so sad. Or, or understand the. You, 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 if you want to do the real test in a group of automotive journalists, just like throw out something like Ackerman angle <laughs> and see who perks up and 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 whether they understand it or not. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, 
we are we're running at about an hour and 20. We did get some questions on Twitter. I don't know if we had any on Facebook. Did you guys want to hit the questions and then split or uh Yeah, let's do that. Where are we at? You have you want to I didn't know if let, there was you some, like some giant revelation. About, uh, Casey. No, no, no. No, I think I'm good if you guys are. So yeah, let's right. let's do some questions which I won't have answers to. <laughs> oh, you you'll have yeah, opinions you though, which is Okay. So, that's you're, you're familiar life. with that. Yeah. Opinions are more important than answers. Come on. This is the modern age. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first question I had was uh, from, from uh, Kevin on Twitter. Um, in the automated future, what replaces minivans full of strollers, diaper bags, snacks, and car seats? And my uh, somewhat uh, smart aleck answer was automated minivans full of strollers, <laughs> yeah. diaper bags, snacks, That's and car seats. pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You know, I, I was in a meeting um, with a, a client a few months ago, and they were, you know, they were we were talking about automated vehicles, and you know, they were they were asking the, the question. You know, it's like, you know, Saturday, you know, I, on Saturday I take my F one hundred and fifty and I go, you know, I go to Home Depot and I go to the grocery store and you know, go make a bunch of stops and you know, pick up all these things and I like having all that space to put all my stuff in. You know, it's like, what am I going to do? You know, if I'm you know taking an automated ride hailing vehicle from one stop to the next. And yeah, I think the answer there is instead of having all your stuff in your car all the time, you're going to make those stops at various locations. You're going to get the stuff you want. You're going to pay for it, and then you're going to go on to your next stop. And then at the at the at the end, one automated car is going to go and repeat those same stops and pick up all your stuff. And by the time you get home, your stuff is going to be there waiting for you. So, you know, you're, you're going to, you know, they're, they're, you know, when you, if you need a, a, a ride with a car seat in there, you know, when you use your app to summon a car, you hit, you know, one car seat, two car seats, three car, you know, however many you need, you know, and the, they'll send you a vehicle that's got car seats in it. Um, you know, and th this is one of the things that, that company car makers are going to have to do is they're going to have to design the vehicles to adapt to this new kind of usage pattern as opposed to the way that we've traditionally done it where you leave all your stuff in the car all the time. One of the things that occurred to me was uh, you don't necessarily need to take the stroller with you. Like It's very much like the idea of bike share or even like Zipcar, right? Mm -hmm. it, you could have that stuff available at the point of use Um I know this is a very communist idea, but, <laughs> um, you know, you don't, you, if you're going somewhere and you know, you're going to need a stroller, you know, if it's, if it's a big enough destination, maybe strollers can yeah. be there. Well, I mean, there, just unlock them. With an you know, app, and the thing is you don't leave your stroller in the car all the time anyway. Right. You, when you, when you, God, no, it's so huge. Yeah. You're going to find this out, Casey, by the way, Mazel Tov. Yeah. It's our second. Yeah. We have a three-year-old, a fresh, right. freshly minted three-year-old, I should add. And then, uh, there is going to be the second, uh, sometime between the end of December and beginning of January. Good so, for you. Uh, this is a, this is a Scorpio three-year-old. I don't even know. <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, but you know, I mean, you can you can just because you're going in an automated ride hailing vehicle doesn't mean you can't throw you know take your fold up stroller and stick it in the same car with you. I mean, you know. Yeah. Just yeah. And then when I mean, you get out, so I mean, you either use a shared one, you know, whatever your destination is, or you just take one with you. You know, nothing to stop you from taking that stuff. It's just you're not going to. I have faith. Leave the stuff in the car all the time. 
Yeah, I have faith that that's something that the market will figure out. And I, I will tell you, my wife would absolutely love it if, like, you could just order up the groceries on the phone and the automated car drove them to the driveway and unloaded them and put them in the fridge too. Like that'd be that'd be great. Has your wife um, ordered Amazon then, Key yet? No. Um, the uh, I mean, when you think about it, right? Like all the things that are somewhat antithetical to. A curmudgeon like me, and I've used antithetical twice <laughs> on this podcast, which is awesome. Or a curmudgeon. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, like the Internet of Things makes it possible where your fridge will know the stuff you're out of. And so it can order them for you and they can be delivered. Like you don't ever have to like if you it, very soon, it seems like you won't really have to go to the store on Saturday unless that's something you you enjoy. <laughs> and and a lot of people don't. I I don't mind it, but uh, some people really hate it. And so I think that that future is coming in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, once they solve that problem of like delivery and stuff, it'll be fine. You just, just don't worry about the automated cars. They will be our new overlords. Everything else is going to be all right. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, there was one question about where shift paddles belong on race cars, and I don't think shift paddles belong on race cars because. Paddles are for wimps. Shift the damn stick. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my take. I don't. That, that's that's what the Lemons Racing Series is for. Right. Because that's I about the only place you're going to find manual transmissions in a race car anymore. Mm. Is in Lemons. That's so sad. Are you are you familiar with Lemons, Casey? That, that's the thing that it, it you bring like a true piece of garbage, but then race like a Lamar style long race with it. Is that right? Yeah. Basically the, um, the, the main rule is that the cars cannot cost more than $500. And, uh, if, if anybody has a car that has particularly exceptional performance, um, that, you know, others suspect may have cost more than $500. Um, any other competitor can buy the car for $500. So you have an incentive not to spend the, 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 That's, that's amazing. Awesome. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, the, the only um the only exception, you know, the the only exceptions to the five hundred dollar rule. So the car itself, five hundred dollars tops, and then whatever, you know, for safety equipment. So roll cages, fire extinguishers, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's unlimited budget for safety, right? Yeah. Like you could just yeah. Yeah. But that's that's smart. Right. But it, you know, the car itself, you know, five hundred dollars tops and you you race it. And you know, there's there's twenty four hours lemon you know, there's twenty four hours lemons races and shorter races. Um and there's some pretty interesting stuff that shows up for lemons races. A few friends of mine, you know, compete in, in lemons, you know, they build a lemons car every year and it looks like a lot of fun. I think this the speedy cup cars are the best. You should when you when we're done with the cast Google Speedy Cop and uh, yeah, he, he does great lemons cars. Um, all right, uh, thoughts about the upcoming Jaguar I Pace or I Pache? Because <laughs> <laughs> isn't Pache Peace right in Latin? Pache? Uh, could be. Yeah, I, I never studied Latin. Oh yeah, I know Speedy Cop. Uh, I've, I've seen I've seen these upside down cars before. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, the the iPace, um, you know, I think you know that's coming out, uh, you know, probably by uh, by late spring, early summer of next year. And um, I have a feeling that uh, when it arrives, uh, the already somewhat slow sales of the Tesla um, Model X are going to sink even further because uh, between the iPace and the Audi e-tron Quattro and and others that are coming, uh, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of competition for Tesla out there. 
Wait, the Model X isn't doing well? That's news to me. Uh, not particularly. It's ugly. Uh, it's ugly and it's got those stupid doors. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's not. Do, it's it's selling a lot less than the uh, the Model S so far uh, this year. Uh, I think that so far this year they've sold about ten thousand X's in the U.S. and about uh, double that many um, S's. So yeah, it's it, it it hasn't done that great. Not not as well as as Tesla was expecting. And there, there's some more money, that's... right? Uh, the the X is actually a little more expensive um, the uh, than the S. Uh, the I Pace uh, I think will probably be somewhat cheaper. Uh, starting starting price of the I Pace I think is going to be somewhere around seventy five. Uh, so in in the same ballpark uh, as maybe the, the the entry level. But I think the difference that you'll see with you know the out with the the Audi and the Jaguar and and other. Um, electrics coming from the the traditional brands is um much higher grade interior materials you know that the, i think they'll the, you know the jaguar will have a, a traditional jaguar you know kind of uh, fit and finish inside um i th- personally i think it's a much better looking car than the i-pace um you know i saw the concept at the la show last year and um we've seen photos of the production version uh and you know what's going to be interesting i've talked about this before i think um you know jaguar is going to be uh doing um a racing series as a support series for formula e starting next year with the i-pace and you know the thing about the teslas is they're wickedly fast in a straight line uh but they don't handle very well and um you know once you go really fast more than a couple of times in a row the battery and the the motor and the electronics heat up and it starts to slow it down it cuts the power pretty significantly um and by putting the iPace out there and showing that it can run fast lap after lap after lap, I think you know they'll. I think that'll help them demonstrate that hey, we can do real performance with with this thing rather than just you know showing off at a drag strip at a quarter mile at a time. But, All right, I think you get the final word. <laughs> I have nothing to add. All right. Um, so, all right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us this week, Casey. Hey, no, the pleasure is all mine. I really appreciate it, you guys. And uh, I got I got to sound smart. You know, my, my first podcast was a podcast called Neutral, which was the same three guys from ATP. But we sort of kind of know what we're talking about when it comes to development and Apple stuff. And we don't know squat about cars, as your listeners have now discovered. <laughs> and so uh, it was fun to sound smart by association, if nothing else. So thank you so much for having me. And thanks as well, Sam, for arranging the Alfa Romeo in the first place. That was very kind of you. Oh. Oh, my pleasure. It was not a problem. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this week, Casey. And uh, we hope to have you back again, again, again sometime. Yep, anytime. All right. All right. Well, in the meantime, people can hit us up on uh, Twitter. We are Wheelbearings Cast. Uh, the only vowel is the A in Cast. Uh, we are Wheelbearings Cast at gmail.com. Uh, you know where else to find uh, me and Sam as well. So uh, we will see everybody next week. All right. See ya. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.